Hey, everyone, and welcome to the State of the Art Podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists to first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world and explore how other creative industries, such as music and fashion, were democratized using technology. So before we get started, I want to ask, did you catch our earlier episode with Patreon, the site that gets creators paid by running a membership business for their fans? Look, we liked it so much and we're so inspired that we created our own Patreon page. Really, we did it for two reasons. One, it lets us connect with you, our fans and listeners. And two, it helps us continue to make great content, get on better speakers, and find creative ways to continue this conversation with art and tech. So look, you can pledge as little as a dollar and become one of our patrons. To do so, check out patreon.com slash state of the art. This week, I'm stoked to sit down with Hadi Eldebeck. Hadi's the founder of Grandpa and a TED resident. I came across him while watching his amazing TED talk on why must artists be poor? And it is this question that led him to create Grandpa, a global platform that aims to connect creators with grants worldwide. In this episode, I asked Hadi about how growing up in a family of engineers and artists shaped his life, the mission behind Grandpa and what their future holds, and why there's this expectation that artists must struggle to make a living. So please, welcome this week's guest, Hadi Eldebeck. Hadi, it's great to have you on the State of the Art Podcast. Thanks for joining. Thank you. It's great to be here. So you hold the distinction of being the first musician to appear on the podcast, as well as TED Talk participant. So I'm really excited about that. <laughs> a, lo- a lot to live up to. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So tell us, you're, is it pronounced Oudist? Like you play the Oudist? I'm an Oud player. Oudist, yeah. yeah. What is an Oud for those who aren't familiar? Right. The Oud is sometimes described as a pregnant guitar. Okay. It's similar to the guitar, but it has more of a hollow and round shape. Uh, it's the ancestor of the lute which is a more familiar instrument to those who live in the West. It's an instrument that appears in many of those medieval paintings mm-hmm. uh, with baby cubits holding it and singing for lovers. So um, in Arabic language, uh, similar to Spanish, um, the translation to the article the is al. So al oud when it moved to the West, became alud, lud, lut, and hence the linguistic resemblance. I see. And how long have you played it? Over 12 years. Wow. Wow. Or, yeah. All right. We're going to get more into that. But I, I also, it's, it's awesome that you gave a TED Talk and you're actually a resident there. What, what's that like and what, what does that involve? It's, uh, it's fantastic. So I was uh, fortunate enough to learn about the TED residency uh, when it was in its second semester. Yeah. Um, basically, a friend of mine, also an artist, his name is uh, Andrew Nimmer, and he is a tap dancer. He posted about uh, the TED residency on Facebook and uh, he encouraged 
his artist friends to apply. So that's what I did. I applied and um, I pitched both my projects, Grandpa and Circle World Arts. Uh, both my brothers and I pitched those projects and we got accepted. The TED residency is an incubator. It uh, selects a number of projects and ideas that are worth spreading and ideas uh, that are considered breakthrough ideas. So um, during the four-month residency, we connected with the other people who had very interesting projects, and we connected with uh, their network of professionals who came to the TED headquarters to um, give workshops about public speaking and storytelling and social media and fundraising and so many other things. So it was very, very informative. Um, and we were, as I said, on the second cohort. Now I believe they are on uh, cohort five. So oh, wow. it's like their their fifth residency. And at the end of the residency, um, the participants deliver their um, their talks. And uh, among those uh, talks, a number is selected to go on the TED.com homepage. And I'm grateful that I was one of those. That's great. So is it, it's a bit like an incubator? Yes. For your idea. Okay. So speaking of TED, you gave a talk called Why Must Artists Be Poor? And in that, you mentioned your four brothers, all who were engineers and scientists. What was that like growing up? And, and what, what was the tension between sort of the arts and sciences? I don't think there was a tension between the arts and sciences in my family. My father is an Arabic literature teacher, and he's a writer. Uh, my mother, she uh, teaches um, first, second, and third grades. Uh, mm. She teaches children, and she makes like arts for them as well. So I've never felt that there was this necessarily this distinction between the sciences and the arts. However, I would say that similar to many cultures in the world, you learn that the main, the, the, the safer careers to go for would be, you know, medicine, uh, law, engineering. Um, these, these are the main careers that will set you in the society. Uh, and usually you stay away from pursuing the arts on a full-time basis. The arts, of course, are encouraged to pursue as long as they are a hobby, as long as they are on the side. But to pursue them on a full-time basis is not so much encouraged because um, there's so much uh, uncertainty and instability that comes with that uh, from a financial standpoint. But within my um, household, growing up, I always was surrounded by the arts. Uh, my uncles are both artists and scientists. They are professors at universities and they are entrepreneurs. And one of my uncles is one of the very famous calligraphists in the area. And we always had these uh, conversations at home. And uh, so many people came uh, over to our house where there were so many conversations about the arts, about the sciences. So it was never really this or that. It was never either or. So there was never either or in terms of sciences versus arts. What then was the, the decision that you made when you, you, you did study engineering, but then you decided to quit your master's to pursue playing full time? What was the point that led up to, uh, to making that decision? What put you over the edge? Right. Yeah. I graduated in math and chemistry in my undergrad. I did that. I was planning to go to medical school. Um, and then I decided that 
medicine is not my my true passion. Mm -hmm. And I was interested. I always loved math, and I still do. And I was interested in um, in operations research and industrial engineering, and you know, it's the science of solving problems using mathematical models. And I found this program, but I felt at a later stage that the reason why I was pursuing this uh, this choice wasn't because I wanted to do it as much as this is what I've been conditioned to think to do. Yeah. So. Um, at the same time, when I decided to become a full-time musician, I uh, calculated that. It wasn't an emotional decision. It wasn't like uh, a Don Quixote uh, running and I want to do music, get out of my way. No, I was actually thinking uh, very analytically um, because at that time, I studied music with one of the best oud players in the world. His name is Simon Shaheen and he's an icon in Arabic music and theory. And also, I was playing with the Silk Road Ensemble and surrounded by Yo-Yo Ma and Kaihan Kalhor and other musicians from around different cultures. Then, so it was a I bit more to... of a calculated. I mean, it was a calculated decision with with less risk. Essentially, is how you saw it. You felt like it was okay, a calculated I, I'll, decision. I'll be able to make a living doing this. Uh, uh, it was a calculated decision. It was not without a risk. Yeah, uh, it's a. It was a very risky decision, and. Uh, and I, I made it knowing the risk. Yeah. I made it knowing the risks. Okay. So after becoming a full-time musician, you eventually started Grandpa. How did that come about and, and where did it fit into your story? That came about after two years of, of my decision of pursuing uh, uh, music as a full-time career. It happened, uh, it happened because I got this grant from the Jerome Foundation. Uh, it was Travel and Study Grant. I learned about it through my composition mentor. At the time, I was—I um, uh, have, you know, recently ended my fellowship with the Brooklyn Philharmonic Orchestra, and my composition mentor, uh, Randy Wolf, sent me an email and he said, "Hey, Hadi, there's this grant. I think you're you're fit for. It's due in a month. You should apply for it." And Randy, he knew my profile. He knew where I was coming from. He knew the instrument and style I played. So I applied and I got the grant and that got me thinking how many people I know apply for these grants. And I started to interview my network of artists from recent graduates to uh, established artists. And I asked them, do you guys apply for grants? Do you know about grants? And I got different answers, but the main uh, conclusions I drew was the majority of my artist friends didn't apply or apply enough for for grants because they didn't know about them because they felt there was no return on the time investment uh, and because they were intimidated by the process. So I saw an opportunity there. I saw that uh, okay, this is a problem. There is there's this world of grants that uh, is set for artists, but artists don't know about and don't take advantage of. And I wanted to create something that will help solve that. And that led to uh, the creation of Grandpa. So how does it work? I mean, essentially, artists go on and, and they fill out a form and then can apply to multiple grants at once? The way how it would work, the artist will create a user profile. And based on the information we collect, we match the artist with the development and funding opportunity. Wow. So, it's, like so a discovery, example, it's a discovery platform for them to, to find grants that match. 
Yes, exactly. So once they complete their profile, they visit their dashboard, and on the dashboard, they see the matching results. So we have uh, primary grants and secondary grants. Primary grants are the grants that uh, are 100% matched to their profile. Secondary grants are grants that are missing some details, still missing some details before we determine the eligibility. And the purpose behind um, a grant by is to save time. It's yeah. save time and make it convenient and just uh, really uh, help the artists as much as we can to learn about opportunities so they could pursue their artists. Yeah, because I, I imagine it's one of those things where a lot of the applications are have similarities and it's just you know an artist has to go in i mean both find them in the first place and then just like upload the same content again and again so this saves them a lot of time yes. what, when you say artists i mean i know it was you're a musician you probably built it for musicians does it include other types of artists such as painters yes and yes at this point the main uh, categories of uh, arts the uh, arts disciplines are music dance theater literature and visual arts Amazing. which includes film and video Great. And then from the other side, the, the sort of grant providers, how does that work? Do they come to you and sort of upload these? Are you sort of scraping the internet? How do you find the, the yes. grants? Yes. Uh, ideally, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. We're going to have the grant makers upload their own grants and opportunities. Uh, but at this point, what we're doing to, uh, to start up the system is we're collecting those manually and we're adding them to our database and admin panel. I see. And then from there, like when the artist fills it out, then you'll actually sort of go and submit it for them effectively? We No. Or is uh, it automated? The grant, you mean? Yeah. Well, what we do is we don't submit the grants. What we do is we present the matching opportunities for the artist. I see. So you look at, okay, for example, you know, Tom or Gabriella, they complete their profiles and then they see whatever matches their profiles if you are let's say musician your music style is jazz and you are based in california based on that so you will you will not see for example a grant that is only for alaska residents got you it only see the that apply on you and that saves you time because you don't have to go and check you know is this is this does this apply to me or not yeah and once they identify uh, the grants that they they want to apply for, then they go ahead and they apply. We aim, obviously, in the uh, near future to provide uh, help with the application process uh, through tips and consultation. Uh, but we don't do that for the artist. The artist has to go and apply uh, on their own. That's good. So how many grants do you ha currently have? We have a couple hundred grants that uh, are in our database we are hoping to reach a uh, thousand uh, in the next month that's incredible and on the other side from an artist perspective you know how how many members i guess or users do you have right now we have five thousand people on our waiting list and uh, we hope to open it up for more beta users in the near future so what, what i mean because it's been around for a couple of years like when being in beta i guess what is it that you're trying to perfect or you know where when do you plan to publish it? Yeah, so so we actually, the inception of the idea uh, was a few years ago, but we haven't really um, uh, like took action uh, until very recently, like in the uh, less than 12 months ago. And, uh, you know, that that entails building the, the matching algorithm. The first time what I did is I built this, um, and I had a landing page explaining 
what uh, Grandpa is about and engaging the interest. And I remember that uh, the first day I, I posted about it, I just asked 10, 10 friends of mine on Facebook to also post it on their pages. And then I remember like the first day I got like 50 responses. And I was wow. talking to my brother and telling him like, well, maybe maybe there is no interest after all. Maybe uh, it's not that big of an idea. Uh, by the second and third day, we had over a thousand users uh, signing up. That's incredible. With with zero marketing, so that's when I had to stop uh, and close the door to application, and and that was my proof of concept. And of course, this was uh, a part of many things I was doing at the time. So I had to wait until I was done with my other commitments before I shift my whole focus on this. And now uh, I'm happy to say that uh, our matching algorithm is uh, almost done and we are expecting to release the website uh, in a week or two. Uh, the, the way we did it initially was manually. We, we did, uh, uh, you know, we got the profiles of the yeah. artists, we got the profiles of the grants, and then we spent so many hours just going one person at a time and doing the matches. Yeah, the uh, that's it was your MVP, and you proved the concept. And you've done this all sort of uh, on your own without any funding, right? Exactly. Or, that's amazing. Are there success stories that you've had so far that you can sort of point to in terms of an artist who got a grant and you know was able to do something full time or got published? Or we help we help an artist get a grant. Uh, it wasn't it, it it wasn't to the extent of now okay the. They are set for life. Yeah, you know. So we help an artist uh, apply for a grant, uh, and they got five thousand dollars to pursue a project of their own. Uh, we are still working on creating more success stories, obviously. Sure. But if if the success um, story is defined by an artist getting the grant, which is obviously the ultimate goal. However, uh, to me at this point, a convenience is success. So if I am able to um, help the hundreds of artists see the opportunities they have out there you know accurately yeah that's success to me that's success to me and uh, and that's what we've been we've been doing i've been working with dozens of artists friends of mine and um and asking them to select the grants they want to apply to and i've been helping them with the process that's amazing and, and i um yeah i think you're right i mean getting an artist and perhaps who never, like you said, even thought about applying for a grant because they just didn't even know where to begin. If you get them to do that, that's, that's incredible. I want to take a quick break to tell you more about our Patreon page. As you know, here at State of the Art, we want to build the art and tech community, increase the conversation, and we love bringing you guests from across the art and tech world. But the thing is, there's so much more we want to do. We want to continue to bring you great guests. We want to do live podcasts. We want to increase the frequency. To do that, though, we need your support. Visit our page at patreon.com slash state of the art. Pledge just a dollar and you'll get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes footage, and a chance to be our super fan of the week. And let me tell you, this is pretty cool. Super fans will get a shout out on next week's episode and a chance to show your art and tech thoughts, events, or whatever within our social feeds. So go to patreon.com slash state of the art 
and become one of our patrons today. Now, back to the episode. You talk about in your, your TED Talk, you, you give some amazing comparisons uh, as far as numbers go with how few grants there are actually in the U.S., um, especially compared to internationally. I mean, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, uh, as part of my research for the TED Talk as well as uh, the market study, you know, we realized that there was interesting data points, there was interesting statistics, and I believe the point I used in my TED Talks that in Europe there was this initiative called Creative Europe that uh, was gonna allocate 2.4 billion dollars to over 300,000 artists. Wow! Whereas in the United States what uh, the budget we allocated for the National Endowment for the Arts considered the largest single funder for the arts in the United States was about $146 million. So it was it was drastic uh, difference in terms of uh, how much you allocate for the, like, the main uh, organization that funds the arts. Yeah. However, in the United States, there's... Um, like a lot of the funding of the arts happened through donations and through uh, private donors and private foundations. So these are many of the grants that we are we look for uh, because the the federal and government funding for the arts is is not nearly enough uh, in my opinion. And I think the government should take a leading role in supporting the arts and allocating a budget, uh, higher budget. For the arts in the U.S., rather than threatening to cut it. Yeah, and I mean that's fascinating. So I guess, kind of bring it back to, to Grandpa. What's what is the mission? Is I mean, is are a lot of these grants out there just not even being applied for at all, or it's or you feel like there's few artists that are finding them, and so by more artists finding them, you know there will be kind of more competition and potentially more grants. I, mean, I guess what what happens as a result of, of Grandpa? Yeah, fantastic question. I would say our mission at Grandpa is to help the artist find opportunities. That's that's the main mission. Now we're starting, as you mentioned, with our MVP. We are at the MVP stage. We are focusing on the grants as this opportunity I'm talking about. However, there are more opportunities that we have uh, uh, planned out in the future that we're going to include in Grandpa. As a result of Grandpa, we will have a society in which artists are funded, in which artists have access to funding opportunities. They know about funding opportunities and they access them. That doesn't mean, for example, that every artist that will visit Grandpa will get a grant, but at least they will know and learn about the grants they can apply to. And then we make the whole process easier and and, uh, less intimidating for them. So that's if we talk only about grants, but there are more and other opportunities, development opportunities that we want to include to help everyone on our website, everyone on our user, and let's, as, uh, let's, everyone on our website. And I'll come back to that. I guess one of my thoughts, I mean, do you think that as a result of this, you know, are there, I guess, are there unused grant dollars out there because no artist can find them? So there's whatever, 500 grants or a thousand grants, but artists can't find them. So half of the money is even used or... Do you mm-hmm. see it as, okay, it's just not as many artists know to apply, and so by getting more to apply, it'll increase the quality, which then as a result will maybe increase the dollars, grant dollars over the course of time, or will increase yeah. the excitement around art because the competition's kind of gone up? I mean, what's the, what's the second or third degree um, yeah. outcome? 
I would say both. I had a conversation with uh, uh, people who worked at arts councils, and they told me this is important because if, let's say, they get um, a budget of $25,000, and then only uh, 15 people apply, What's going to happen is that the next time they apply for for this grant and for funding, they have to justify it. And to just say only 15 people apply, this is not going to convince whoever funded them. So they're going to get a cut, whether they will reduce the amount of the grant or they will cancel out the grant. So definitely um, by, by having more people apply and learn about a particular grant, it will give that grant um, a longer lifespan. Yeah, that's now, amazing. The other point you mentioned is also correct because when you have more people apply for a grant, it becomes in a way, well, it does become more competitive, but it becomes also more valuable and it could help increase the budget of that grant mm -hmm. so that the grant maker could go to the funder and, and tell them, like, listen, we have $100,000 allocated for this amount of uh, this number of people, but we have all of these great applications and uh, great applicants. We need to increase the budget. Would you increase the budget? They will have this uh, kind of justification for that. Thinking about the, the, the title of, of your TED Talk, why must artists be poor? You know, I mean, there's a struggle out there. I think I, a lot of it would probably be, would come down to perhaps there's a lack of demand. And, you know, maybe you can point to the fact that, like you said, there's less grants, like maybe there's less mm -hmm. artists creating, artists struggle. But a large part of that is because people aren't necessarily participating in the arts in the U.S., I think, as much as, as you know, probably you and I think they should. Why do you think that is? Why I think there isn't much demand for the arts? Yeah. Why don't you think there's as much as much demand? I think it's a big question about the arts industry, uh, about the status quo of the arts industry, and who gets to become um, the major player uh, and the and the major mainstream. Uh, and I think there are like so many elements that uh, make a few artists uh, go up the ladder and other artists go unknown. Uh, and um, uh, and missing out on, on opportunities. And one thing that just came to mind is it sounds like it's almost like the long tail, you know, of, of artists cannot continue to create. And therefore, at the same time, it has a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy on the consumer side, because if there's few artists creating, that means there's, you know, kind of less art out there. There's less shows. There's less this. They're more expensive. And if more are creating and more are getting their work out there, and maybe perhaps some of it's more affordable and approachable and accessible, then more consumers will indulge. In but you see, I don't, I don't think that is the case. Okay. I don't think that uh, you know a few people are creating. I think that a lot of people are creating. A lot of people having um, you know great art with great uh, potential impact and message. Except that um, they they're not getting the platform, or they're not getting what's uh, like enough opportunities. To get out there, uh, and I think the lack of that is because uh, culturally we don't value the art as much as I believe we should. Uh, we don't value the artists as much as we believe we should, and I think that by providing a platform for the artists to present 
their work and uh, by empowering the artist. I would rather to give the artist the tool to grow uh, rather than just give them like a one-time, uh, you know, a thing uh, yeah. to, to just help them uh, present just one project. So, uh, and that's something that I believe should be done on, uh, on a higher systematic level that gets uh, the big foundations and, uh, and the government and the education system involved rather than just, um, you know, having few initiatives here and there. And I believe that there are a number of foundations and institutions and pioneers in the arts and culture and education that are working uh, on this, uh, including Yo-Yo Ma, uh, who, is, who has been very active on cultural entrepreneurship and very active on creating um, this, uh, this kind of, um, uh, I would say, I don't know if industry is the right word, but, you know, industry for the cultural citizens and for the cultural um, uh, players, including artists, to grow and strive and participate in the economy. Yeah, and and you, he's actually a one of your board members. Is that right? Yes, that's amazing. Yes, I'm very lucky to have him. What, what what um what impact has that had in 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 how how you've approached Grandpa and or how maybe the product has evolved? Yeah, so I've been working with Yo Yo Ma since I was. Um, yeah, so I've been yeah, so I've been working with Yo Yo Ma since two thousand nine uh, as part of the Silk Road Ensemble. And I was about 19, 20 years old at the time. So I had so many of my ideas and my aspirations shaped uh, directly and indirectly by my interactions and work with the Sukron Ensemble and Yo-Yo Ma. And one thing that Yo-Yo Ma have mentioned uh, many times is the concept of uh, a cultural citizen. And um, I adopt this concept of cultural citizen, creating a world where we feel the sense of belonging to not uh, only where we come from and that's it, but a sense of belonging to the whole world mm -hmm. and seeing that the variety and the differences in cultures as a richness to our world um, rather than uh, feeling uh, intimidated by the different. So um, uh, working uh, with Yo-Yo Ma has uh, shaped my uh, understanding to become a global uh, understanding of things and uh, pushed me to make uh, Grandpa to become a global community and network of artists and cultural institutions uh, like foundations, like grant makers, in order to create impact and in order to connect, in order to create um, a voice and a tool uh, that the artists could use to bring more arts to these societies and communities, to bring a strong voice to the artists in their community and become a part of the uh, uh, global decision uh, making. Uh, you know, whether it yeah. was, it's on the political level, whether, it's, whether it is on a social level, financial level, I, I think that we need to put uh, the arts and culture on that table. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, in, in sort of San Francisco and Silicon Valley, that's such a big discussion. I mean, often because people say how the technologists are and technocrats are kicking artists out of the city, but also because the technocrats are sort of the modern day, you know, millionaires, the modern day Vanderbilts, I mean, in terms of wealth, but unlike sort of, you know, the old uh, guard, they're not supporting the arts as much as, as, you know, our sort of parents and great, great grandparents did. Exactly. 
And that's that's a big question mark a, yeah. for me. You know, like why 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 is this the case? And uh, and are we aware of the consequences of of uh, such thing? And what can we do to encounter um, this wave of um, of thinking less of the arts and artists? Um, because I believe that again, it's I believe arts, of course. What's most important is food and shelter and water, access to those. But the arts is a necessity. I believe in that. I believe that the arts is uh, as an expression of our uh, humanity and as a tool to to bring uh, up to surface, uh, you know, questions that we need to explore, not only want, but also need to explore on the inner level and also on the outer level. Yeah. You know, there, there seem to be like more appreciation of the arts then. Uh, whereas now, like, you know, there's less, I would say, appreciation of the arts. Uh, maybe, you know, the, the, all of the talk about uh, cutting funding on, on arts education, uh, what, we're, what we're seeing is, um, yeah, no. you know, like, why? Yeah, the and, and 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 there's a lot of of support scientifically around how you know uh, therapeutic the arts is, you know, individually how uh, how it helps you with creativity, and I think that you know as as technology sort of automates more jobs, and that's a big discussion. You know, it's it's actually that the people who are more creative, I think, are the ones that that won't have their jobs automated. So there'll be an interesting. Um, you know, evolution as that happens and, and, and almost, you know, we're not really though preparing society for that because, because we're, we're not supporting the arts. Right. Um, but you know, I, I think, uh, you know, with that it's, it's, there's often this desire and I say the sexy technology, which is like AR and VR and these others in terms of how it's affecting, uh, the art world. But, you know, it really is tools like yours that I think are, you know, I won't say they're less sexy, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's practical, but it really helps the artist. And I think, you know, within the creative space, there's a lot that can be done to just make that sort of, um, I don't know what you say, the more practical or administrative piece easier for artists that they can continue to do what they love. And so I think it's great. Are there, yes. are there other platforms or technologies that you are excited about or that you think are, are doing a great job at helping artists that you look forward to see how they do evolve to help the arts. Other platforms. Yeah. The techno I mean, you know, other technologies that you see out there or, or platforms, um, that you say like, Hey, this is, is, um, is a great way to support artists. Yeah. I mean, definitely, um, the crowdfunding, of websites yeah. like, uh, um, Kickstarter and uh, Indiegogo and Patreon. These are all great initiatives and um, I love what they're doing for the uh, creatives mm -hmm. in our societies. Um, I think, as I, as I mentioned, that uh, and I think it's, it's getting there. This community of people who are creating tools to help the artist in our modern time. You know, now with the emergence of social media and uh, the uh, new face of, of society based on, on, on this uh, uh, digital world, uh, you have so many things as an artist that uh, you want to do. Uh, you know, you want to manage your 
Facebook page, you want to uh, adapt to these changes, and not all of the artists have that ability to do it. Yeah. Uh, so um, how can we adapt to these changes and, and make it easier for the artists to adapt to these changes and to take advantage of what's out there? Um, this is what, what I believe uh, many uh, entrepreneurs are doing, and many of those entrepreneurs are artists themselves, so they know what um, uh, the pain points are. They know what uh, needs to be done in order to improve the lives of the artists and improve uh, their well-being. Howdy, I think that's beautiful. I think that's an incredible way to end this episode. And a great Thank message. you so much, Ethan. But before I let you go, can we do a quick rapid fire? Yes. All right. So remember, these have to be fast. All right. You're from Lebanon. What's the best place to get Lebanese food in New York? In New York? Ah. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm breaking. I'm breaking the rule. Um, and that's going to upset uh, some, some friends, maybe. Um, my kitchen. Okay. There you go. The, the, the politically correct answer. Who's your favorite band? Uh, Gypsy Kings. There we go. Okay, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Probably play any music instrument in the world. <laughs> there you go. Hadi, thank you so much. It's been a blast having you on State of the Art. Thank you, Ethan. I'm so happy you had me on this show. Thanks for listening to State of the Art. And be sure to follow Hadi on Twitter and Instagram at Hadi Eldebeck. That's H-A-D-I-E-L-D-E-B-E-C-K. And find Grandpa at Grandpa.com. That's G-R-A-N-T-P-A.com. And at Grandpa Official on Twitter. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy, and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh, yeah. And don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind-the-scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode, and really cool art videos you're going to want to show your friends. Until next week, this is your host, Ethan Appleby, signing off from State of the Art. <laughs>